You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. My name is Seth, and this is my story. Uh, 17 years old, uh, South Cabo High School. I am a senior, um, and I've attended the school for four years. Um, I have an older brother and two older sisters. Michael was my brother, and then Jessica and Amber are my two older sisters. Um, about three years ago, uh, our dad left us for like the fourth or fifth time, but um, now it's just me, my brother, and my mom uh, living in a house together, and uh, we've been doing that for three years now. Uh, times have been fairly rough fairly recently, um, over the past six years, uh, uh, ever since the car accident, everything's been uh, pretty rough. Um, we were just kind of driving down the road, uh, we had just stopped at Owens out in, um, out in Dudley to pick up some barbecue sandwiches, and um, on our way to the creek, we were going to go swim, and we were coming down a stretch of road, and I hear Brittany scream. So I go to look, you know, instincts. I go to look toward uh, toward the front of the car to see what's going on. And as I go to turn my head, I remember hearing rocks hit the underneath of the car, and then um, just the sound of the car hitting the trees, and the way that everything just sounded with the motor seizing up and. Uh, the car crumpling, the windows busting, and just all the all the noise at once is it's it's an indescribable, indescribable sound. Uh, ever since I was little, uh, like up to about five or six, you know, I always believed in God. But uh, then once we, uh, you know, I was little, I don't really think I knew what I knew at that time. Like I don't think I understood what I was trying to say or talk about or what I believed because I was so young. Um, and then throughout my life, I never really, uh, never really thought about, you know, religion and stuff. I was just thinking about um, what I was going to do the next day to have some fun. Um, most churches that I went to in the past, uh, they were just, they weren't trying to worry about, um, trying to teach me about Jesus and God. They were just trying to force uh, what they believed in on me. They tried to cram it down my throat and tell me, you know, this and that. They weren't trying to let me just learn on my own. They were trying to make me um, how they were. And after time, it just it kept pushing me away. Uh, that's happened to me like three or four different times with three or four different churches now. Uh, whenever uh, I met Brad at Challenge D3 last year, um, uh, I remember me and my buddy Drew, we were just kind of thinking to each other, you know, like, uh, you know, is this, is this actually part of the church or are they just, uh, you know, is this just something that, that's going on like on their property? Um, but after hanging out with Brad and uh, getting, like meeting up with him and riding with him sometimes, uh, we kind of we kind of found out about the church a little bit more, and then Drew started going. Um, but I opted to uh, stay out because that was still whenever I was uh, kind of I guess you can say against religion. But uh, ever since I found Brad um, at Challenge D3 last year, and I wasn't really think, like I never really think about uh, the past effects that I've had. I just think about um, what's uh, what's to come. And whenever I got with him, there was. Uh, I didn't really feel like it was being forced upon me, but I just kind of had some, sort of some of the same feelings I had before, and I quit coming for at least like a month and a half to two months, and then uh, me and Brad started talking again, and this was just recently, and uh, got me back into church, and then uh, I asked God into my life, and then that week, um, that Sunday, at our little youth meeting, uh, I ended up getting baptized, and I'm really thankful that uh, I met Brad and Philip because they are the two that's had uh, pretty much the most impact on me. Um, if I didn't have them, I would probably, like even right now, as soon as I got home from school, I'd probably be sitting back and chilling with some friends or something, getting drunk and smoking some weed or something. And uh, I'm really glad that, uh, that I'm not like that anymore. Um, it had some really bad effects on me. Uh, if I didn't have them, I honestly, to be honest, I don't know where I would be right now, but I know that it would not be a very good place. And I'm just glad that they uh, 
they kind of pulled me back to reality a little bit and then uh, just kind of let me heal on my own pretty much, but they were there for support the entire time. My story is God's story. Today we're wrapping up a series we've called God's Story. And the uh, point of this whole uh, series this month has been that God has a story that he wants to live out through our lives. And, uh, and we need to allow him to do that. And we need to see how he's done it in the lives of others. And, and maybe inspire us uh, to go further ourselves in allowing God to live out his story in our lives. Uh, we started out in chapter 1 of God's story uh, by looking at Catherine Peake and her story and the cancer that she's had and uh, how that's gone in remission. And we hope that always stays true, that it will always be in remission. But uh, her emphasis in her testimony was this. It's all about God's glory. You know, whatever God is doing in her life uh, is not about her, but it's about God glorifying himself. And that's how she views even getting the cancer and how she views now that the, uh, the cancer has been dormant. And like I said, we hope that stays true. But guys, here's the deal with that. Even if it doesn't, even if the cancer comes back and, you know, God forbid takes her life, here's the deal with that. God still gets the glory because of what Jesus did on the cross. She goes to heaven. Uh, so, you know, that's chapter 1. Uh, chapter 2 of God's story, we talked about adoption. And we looked at how Dwight and Tina Anderson went through a process to adopt that little girl uh, that they have now. And what we did on that week was talk about how God wants to adopt us uh, through Christ, through faith in Him. He wants to adopt us into His family. Uh, last week in chapter 3, we heard from Wanda Doak. And Wanda had been through a lot of things in her life. And we talked about perseverance and how you and I can persevere, how we can make it through junk in our lives also and understand the good, bad, and the ugly of it. God is at work. God is using all of it to make us more and more like Jesus. Today, as we come to our final chapter of this series, it's not the final chapter of God's story because God has a whole lot more to do in our lives, in my life, and in your life. But as we come to this final chapter of this series today, our focus is this. In God's story, we're going to talk about friends or friendship. You saw in the testimony just a moment ago by Seth Tramble uh, how God use Brad developing a relationship in his life to ultimately get him to Jesus. You saw that he had maybe tried out church before and it just hadn't clicked for him because he just felt like he was being pushed into somebody's mold. And because, you know, Brad was doing this creative type of ministry with a BMX bike and skateboards and things like that, he was able to connect with Seth. I played the testimony that Seth gave us a moment ago. Some of you that know the rest of the story realize the young girl he mentioned was killed in that car accident. Uh, his brother was uh, severely injured in the car accident that took place. And a lot of other stuff was going on in Seth's life that was not very positive that was taking place during that time. But anyway, while I was at Mike Peak, he, in, the in the video, told you he was a senior, and now he's graduated since the video was made from South Caldwell. But he was a senior in South Caldwell, and uh, since I was over at Mike's house, Mike Peak, the principal, playing him Catherine's video for them to see before they saw it here the first time, I asked him, I said, do you want to see one of your students? And of course he did, and I played that to him, and I kind of stood off to the side, and I watched Mike start to get emotional. And Mike watched the testimony, and in the middle of it, he said, I can't believe that's the same guy. He said, I cannot believe that's even the same person. He said, that's not the same person I knew. He said, the person I knew, it was walking around here around the school almost like a zombie because of everything that he faced. He said, he doesn't even look like the same person. Uh, <clears throat> later on, I found out that Mike went to school and looked Seth up. And uh, for the reason of telling him, you know, to kind of uh, tell him he was glad that he'd come to Christ. Seth didn't know that, though. Seth sees Mike coming his way, and the principal's coming your way, and motions for you to come this way. 
And, uh, and Seth is thinking to himself, I've not done anything, not lately. I've not done anything. You see, when most of the time the principal comes in motions for you, most of the time it's not a positive thing. But this time it was. What I want us to do today is look at a story that I think mirrors pretty closely what we're talking about. Because there's a story in Luke chapter 5, it's also found in Mark chapter 2, but we're going to use the Luke 5 version uh, today, of some guys getting someone to Jesus. Some guys getting an acquaintance of theirs, a friend of theirs to Jesus. These friends getting someone to Jesus. Now, we're not told in the text that they're friends, but if you do the things that they do, I'm telling you, you're a friend of somebody if you do what they do. Look at what the, uh, the Scriptures tell us in these uh, verses. One day as he, and I put in parentheses, Jesus, just to where you understand who we're talking about, was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. So men came carrying a, par- a paralytic on a mat and tried to get him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do so because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, or friend rather, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's not all the story. I'll kind of hit some of the highlights of the rest of the story near the end of the message. But that's the main thing I want us to focus on. I want us to look in this and see a picture and maybe us learn some lessons how you and I ought to be getting our friends to Jesus. How we ought to be looking for people who have needs in their lives and get them in front of Jesus. If you're following along in your notes, by the way, if you don't know this, on the inside of the updates you're given today, there's a place you can fill in blanks. So your first blank this morning involves this. I want you to notice in this story, someone and something our friends need. There's someone in these verses that our friends need. There is something taking place here that our friends need. The Bible says one day is he, Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching. Here's the someone. Our friends need Jesus, guys, and I hope you understand that. And if you and I are really going to be friends to our friends, in other words, if you've got a lost friend who does not know Christ and you realize that they're lost, you need to be doing something about it. You need to be doing something trying to reach them and change their lives. Our friends need Jesus. Our friends need to be brought to Jesus. We need to do everything we can within our power to get our friends in front of Jesus. In this story, did you notice who is the main attraction? Jesus is there and people are listening to him. Did you notice who these men carrying this paralytic on his bed, on his mat, who they're trying to get him in front of? They're not trying to get their friend on this mat before the Pharisees. They're not trying to bring their friend on this mat and get him in front of the teachers of the law. They are trying to solely get this individual in front of Jesus Christ. And that needs to be our goal also. It will not help anyone to get their friend in front of me or in front of you or in some legalistic Christian to get them in front of them or someone that can really just expound upon the law but doesn't do anything to help anybody. That's not going to be beneficial. What we need to understand is this. Our friends need Jesus and we need to get our friends in front of Jesus face to face before Jesus. Some might say, why? Why do we need to do that? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. The Bible says salvation is found in no one else. So if your friend doesn't meet Jesus for salvation, it's not going to happen. 
God's not going to wink at him someday and say, well, you know, I put my son on the cross to die for you, but, and I, and I realize your friends didn't do everything they should to get you to Jesus, but, you know, you says you're a pretty good old boy, I'm going to let you into heaven. You see, that's not happening. And I'm afraid a lot of times that's in our southern church culture or mentality that we just think somehow because, you know, we've got churches all over the place that our friends somehow will make it into heaven. They're not going to make it into heaven without Jesus. The Bible clearly says there's salvation found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. Look at this next verse. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Here's what he wants to happen. He wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator. A mediator is someone that mediates between. He's the access point. He's the one that you go through. And one mediator between God who is holy and men who are sinful. And it is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given in its proper time. Guys, I understand we live in a culture today that wants to be politically correct and wants to kind of stand back and be kind and be nice to people and say, well, if someone is you know, sincere, if they believe in Muhammad or if they believe in Buddha or whatever they believe, as long as they're sincere, they'll make it into heaven. I'm telling you something, the God of all the universe that made the rules says that's not going to happen. There's only one way, not a dozen ways, not a second way, not a plan B. There's only one way that our friends will ever make it to heaven and ever experience forgiveness of their sins. And that one way, that one name is Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a world today that when we tell them that and the church starts to communicate that message, they look at us like we're a bunch of bigots and look at us as though we're being very narrow-minded. Can I tell you something? What is more open-minded than God sending His Son to die for the sins of everybody, irregardless of their color, irregardless of their creed, irregardless of their financial status in life, to die for everybody? And then that same God, that same Jesus stands with open arms and says, let whosoever will come. That's pretty open-minded. More open-minded than these other religions that people want us to say are okay. If you don't believe me, just read some of their rules and some of their guidelines. The someone that people need is Jesus, and they need us to get them to Jesus, just like this man on this mat needed his friends to get them to Jesus. The something that our friends need is this. The something that our friends need is God's Word. God's Word. Now, you might be saying, well, where'd you get that in the text? Well, it, you know, it said there in the verses that we read a moment ago that, that he was teaching. Now, now guys, it, it's Jesus, Okay? What do you think Jesus is teaching? Do you think Jesus has given a math lesson, an algebra, a calculus lesson? Do you think Jesus is telling them how to repair their lawnmower? Do you think Jesus is given a session explaining to them how they can market ministry and sell prosperity prayer cloths on TV to make money? What do you think Jesus is doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm telling you what he's doing. It might not said there, just said he was teaching. It might not have said that he was teaching God's Word. But guys, think for a minute. It's Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's teaching God's Word. Matter of fact, go to Mark, and it tells you he was preaching the Word to them. When you read the version of it in Mark. And here's the deal. Since it is Jesus that's teaching, and Jesus is, guess what? Jesus is God in the flesh. That means every word that he's saying is God's word. And that is what our friends need, guys. They don't need our opinions, okay? You, you know what opinions are like, don't you? Yeah. Everybody's got one. That's what opinions are like. 
They don't need that. They don't need our human ideas. They don't need our philosophy. They don't need just human wisdom. What people need, what our friends need, is the Word of God. And here's why they need that. The Bible says all Scripture, not just part of it, all Scripture is God-breathed. He breathed His Word in the men, and they wrote it down. It is all inspired of God. It's useful. All of it is useful. Every bit of the Word of God is useful. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And here's why. So that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why our friends need the Word of God. It will guide their lives. It will give them instruction. It will rebuke them. It will let them know that they're a sinner and that they need grace and that they need to follow the foot of the cross. They need the Word of God because that's what equips them. That's what will complete and help finish out their life. They need the Word of God. So up front, as we think about friends today and what our friends need and what our friends don't need, there is somebody that our friends need, and his name is Jesus. There is something that our friends need, and it is the Word of God, the Bible. But there's also in this story some people and some things that our friends don't need. In this text that we read, there are some people and some things that our friends don't need. The Bible said in the second part of verse 17, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. First of all, some people that our friends don't need. There are some people that our friends don't need. Clearly illustrated and talked about in those verses. First of all, our friends do not need legalistic people. Our friends do not need Pharisees. The word Pharisee means a separatist. It's someone that thinks they're better than someone else and they're trying to separate among people that are following God. I'm holier than you are and you're way down here. It means someone who thought they were exclusively religious much more than other people. The root word that the word Pharisee is built from in the Greek actually means to separate, literally to disperse people. I thought we're supposed to be getting people together to bring them to Jesus. Figuratively, the word was used to specify. And that's what a Pharisee wants to do. A Pharisee wants to specify the rules. We're doing it my way. Here's what I think the rules are. We're going to have all these rules that you have to go by. But that was the problem with Pharisees in that day, and it's still the problem with Pharisees in this day. The Pharisees in that day added a whole lot of man-made rules to the Bible. They'd read a verse, take it out of context, run wild with it, and have a whole book of things you're supposed to do based upon the verse that they took out of context. It is also used for this. The root word also by implication means to wound To hurt someone. We're talking about hurting someone that's already hurting. Hurting somebody that's already paralyzed by sin. Hurting someone that's already been kicked around by life. Someone who is religious turning down their nose at someone else. That's why I'm saying our friends do not need that. Guys, our friends don't need someone else to kick them while they're down. Our friends don't need someone to turn their pious noses down and look down on them and set in judgment upon them. That's not what our friends need. Instead, our friends need somebody that's willing to get their hands dirty to reach down and pick up a stinking old mat that a paralytic's been lying on and do all that they can to get him to Jesus. That's what our friends need. Not someone that's just a legalist. Not somebody that is just like these Pharisees that we see here in our text. Secondly, our friends do not need just teachers of the law. 
Because a lot of times when you read in the New Testament about the teachers of the law, by the way, a lot of those were the Pharisees. They were teachers of the law, but they were teachers of the law without any mercy or without any grace in their lives. They could expound upon the Bible. They could quote it to you frontwards and backwards. But they didn't allow room for mercy. They didn't allow room for forgiveness. They didn't allow room for grace toward people because they're just expounding the law. They can spout it out, but they're not helping anybody. You ever met somebody like that? You ever been like that in your life? I have. God, I'm sorry. To where we can quote it a mile a minute and throw it out there to somebody, but we're not willing to do something to actually help them. We're not willing to help them get out of where they are and apply that Bible to them and work with them in their lives to help them understand that God wants to give them mercy and grace and call them to himself and work in their life and help straighten their life out. You know what one of the biggest problems that we have in the church? That's the church standing back looking at a lost world and expecting the lost world to act like they're Christians and they're not Christians. They don't have the ability to act like Christians because they're lost. So we come across as mean-spirited and hateful and drive people away from the church and people away from Jesus instead of attracting them to Jesus. Because we don't ever need to get beyond the point that we fail to remember that all of us deserve to be in hell ourselves. All of us were sinners, and the only way we are where we are now in our life is because of the mercy of God and the grace of God. Instead of just being a teacher of the law, they can throw it out, expound it, and nothing else. So here's a picture of kind of what they were like. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners, they're talking about Jesus, and, and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? They're talking about Jesus. God in the flesh. Now, part of it was probably they thought, well, now he needs to come over and bow down to us. He needs to come over and hang out in our clique. He needs to be over here with us, and he's not. He's hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with tax collectors, people that these teachers of the law and the Pharisees hated and looked down on. And they're thinking in their minds, how dare Jesus hang out with people like that? I'm telling you guys, that's the kind of people our friends need. They need people who will hang out with sinners, who will hang out with people that the rest of the world is rejecting because that's the ones that need someone to love them and Love them all the way to Jesus. Be willing to do more than just spout and teach the law and expound the law. Be willing to actually help somebody. Look at the next one. Neither do our friends need religious people who fail to bring others to Jesus. Look at this story. What's said here? It talked about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, guys, that's a big territory. And there are people who are gathered together in this house to hear Jesus teach. And they have come from all over the place. Can I ask you a question? Where's their man on the mat? Where's the paralytic or the cripple or the hurt or the discouraged or the disease or the sinner that they know? Where's their man on the mat? See, the religious people, they're coming together and they're sitting around. And they're listening, but they're failing to bring anybody to Jesus. They had journeyed from all over the place. Listen, that's not what the world needs. That's not what our friends need. We need more than just you and I acting religious and being religious. We need to have our man on the mat trying to get him into the presence of Jesus too. Some people our friends don't need. There's also some things here 
that our friends do not need. Number one, our friends do not need this. Inactive religion. Inactive religion. The Bible says they were sitting there. The word in the Greek means this, to sit, to sit down, to remain, to reside. The root word actually means to be sedentary or to be inactive, to be immovable, and to be settled. So I really, guys, this one, you might wonder why in the world I bring so many word studies up and pop in front of you. I think a lot of times God puts some important truth there that we need to be digging into. Because if you're not careful, you'll just read through that and you'll think, okay, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, man, they're sitting there. They've got an opportunity to hear Jesus. They're, they're sitting there. But then when you start looking into what the Word means, it's kind of got a negative attachment to it. They're, that's all they're doing. They're just sitting there. And, and guys, what worries me about this, I'm afraid it gives us a picture of many churches and many Christians in our day to where people come to a religious meeting, they come and gather together maybe one or two Sundays a month or maybe every Sunday in a month, but they come and they sit and they listen to a Bible lesson and they go away and they're missing in action all week long, not doing anything to serve Jesus all week long, then they come back the next Sunday and they sit and they listen to a Bible lesson and they go away and they go home and they put their Bibles on the shelf and they don't pray or think about God again until the next week and then they show up the next week and they come to be entertained and they sit there and they listen to music and they listen to a Bible lesson and they go away again. They come, they sit, they go away. They come, they sit, they go away. Then they go away and sit in their home in their AWOL all week long and there's a world that's dying and going to hell. We have friends out there that we need to reach with the gospel. There's some things that our friends don't need. They don't need inactive religion. Guys, the world has enough of religious people just meeting together and having a Bible study and sitting there and then leaving and going home and never doing nothing to serve Jesus all week long and then coming back and having another religious meeting and sitting there and going away and being inactive when God wants us to to be active and use our lives to reach our friends. The world has enough of that. Our friends don't need just more inactive religion. We need some people who are willing to go out and grab a dirty, filthy mat with a paralytic laying on it and do all we can do as long as it is biblically correct to get them to Jesus. Our friends also don't need this. Our friends don't need missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. The Bible says this. The group was there. They're all meeting together. Look what the Bible says. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, let me address that just a minute. Was the power of the Lord there present for him to heal the sick? You bet. Everywhere Jesus went. <laughs> The word power in the Greek is the word that we get our English word dynamite or dynamo from. It means to have this force or this miraculous power. So guys, I'm telling you something. Everywhere Jesus went, he's a dynamo because he's God in the flesh. Everywhere Jesus went, he had the dynamite or the ability or the force within him to affect change in people's lives. The word Lord means this. It says the power of the Lord, it means supreme in authority. We call Jesus Lord. Why? Because he is supreme in authority. And wherever he is, he has the ability to make people whole, to heal, to cure, to make people whole. Guys, I, I'm going deeper with that, and you ought to, in your mind, always go deeper than that. Then just think about physical healing. There are some groups in this world that all they get excited about is physical healing. Can I tell you what the greatest miracle of all is? It's when God heals a soul through Jesus Christ and that soul can go to heaven forever. That is what the ultimate cure is. Sure, he had the power to walk on water, to heal the sick, to make the blind to see. He had the power to do all of this. But the Bible says he was there 
The power of the Lord was present for him to heal. I want to go back to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law again. Where are their friends at? Where's their friends who are on a bed of affliction that they needed to get to Jesus? Because right now they have missed a great opportunity to get somebody to Jesus. Can I tell you the way your mindset ought to be? Every week if you come here and you don't bring somebody with you to Jesus that's a lost friend or someone that's unchurched and you're not trying to get them here, you're not doing your best to try and get them before God, to get them before the face of Jesus, can I tell you something? It's a missed opportunity. We need to be doing all we can to get people before the face of Jesus. We need to be doing all we can. And when we fail to do it, it is a missed opportunity. And our friends don't need missed opportunities. Where were the friends of the Pharisees? Why did not they bring somebody? I think I might have an answer for you. Pharisees don't have too many friends. And the ones they do have are just like them already. And they're too high and they're too holy to get their hands dirty and worry about this guy on the side of the road lying on a mat that can't get up and walk. They've got their friends. They've got their little religious group. And they meet together when they want to. And they're not that interested or concerned about bringing somebody to Jesus as long as they can get together and have a Bible study and go home and feel like they've done their religious activity. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm afraid that that describes the church today. And I'm not just talking about conventional churches or traditional churches that exist. I'm talking about this church too. If you come here just for your entertainment, if you come here just for the music, if you come here just to maybe hear a message, and then all you do is leave and go home and sit and don't develop any relationships with anyone that's lost, you, you see my, here, some of you might be making an excuse. Let me just go ahead and deal with that real quick. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, I, I don't have any lost friends that are like that. That's my point. All you do is hang out with people that already know Christ. You're supposed to be developing relationships with people like that. That's why Jesus ate with the sinners and ate with the tax collectors. These men knew a guy that was paralyzed, that they needed to get to Jesus. And you and I, God help us, ought to know people that need to be brought to Jesus and be doing all in our power to get them there. And when we don't, it's a missed opportunity. Our friends do not need more missed opportunities. Third thing I want you to get, last main thing I want you to get, and there's about four sub-points that go with is this. The type of friends we need to be. I just talked about some friends we don't need to be like. We don't need to be like Pharisees. We don't need to be legalistic. We don't need to be like teachers of the law who can expound and spit it out and throw it out frontwards and backwards but leave out mercy and grace and compassion to reach out to someone else. That's not the kind of people that our friends need. Our friends do not need people who are inactive in in their religion, in their faith. Our friends don't need people who just miss opportunities and never try and get them to Jesus. So what do our friends need? Here's the type of friends that we need to be. Some men came carrying. That took some energy. That took some of their time. That took some toil, some sweat. Maybe it was inconvenient for them in the moment. But they come carrying a paralytic on a bed, on a mat, And tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. Are you getting the picture there? The crowd that's sitting there has things blocked up. To where they can't even get a lost person or a needy person, a paralyzed person. Which by the way... Paralysis is a picture of sin. I'll talk about that in a moment to Jesus. They could not find a way because of the crowd. They went up on the roof. I like that. 
and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. What kind of friends do we need to be to others? First of all, we need to be the type of friends. Our friends need us to do this. We need to be the type of person. Our friends need us to be the type of person that recognizes their condition. That recognizes their condition. These men come carrying a paralytic on a mat. Somehow they had identified his need. Maybe they're just walking by and he's there on the side of the road begging alms or something. And they walk by and all of a sudden they feel compassion for him. Maybe in that moment they see themselves on the mat. And they see themselves as being someone that can't take a step. Whose legs are feeble. That cannot get up and walk. But in that instant, in that moment, these men recognize the condition of this individual. And that's the type of friends that we need to be to others. Our friends need us to recognize their condition. You know how you're able to do that? By being their friend. By developing a relationship with them. Even if they're lost and undone and living like hell we need not to act like we're going to wash our hands of them we need to develop a relationship to where we get to know them to where we have open doors into their life and we can see the paralysis we can see the problem we can see the issues that they have our friends need people that will take time to recognize and see their condition Being paralyzed in the Scripture is a type or a picture of sin because sin does that. It paralyzes us. It keeps us away from the face of Jesus. It keeps us away from God. It keeps us to where we can't walk in life as we should. It provides numbness in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. That's what paralysis does, actually, and that's what sin does in our lives. And our friends need somebody that will recognize, hey, you are a sinner, you're lost, and if I'm really going to be your friend, I need to reach down and get the mat and carry you to Jesus. I need to do all that I can to get you to Jesus. We need to look and see the immediate situation of someone paralyzed. We need to look and see their future situation. Unless somebody gets that man to Jesus, he's still paralyzed. You and I need to look into the lives of our friends and see they're lost in their sin. And unless somebody gets them to Jesus, they'll still be lost in their sin. And according to the Bible, they'll spend all eternity separated from God in a place called hell. If we don't care enough and recognize their condition and care enough to get them to Jesus. Our friends need us to recognize their condition. Our friends need us to do this, guys, to take them to Jesus. You should have been able to fill in that blank yourself without me even telling you. And you might think, oh, well, that's just a simple point. It, yeah, it is simple. Why don't we do it? We know we're supposed to. The Bible tells us to. We're to get people to Jesus. We're to share the gospel. We're to be trying to lead people to Jesus in a relationship with him. We're to be trying to get people face-to-face, to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. So why don't we do it? The Bible said that they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. We need to see more than the condition of our friends. We need to see the solution. And I don't care whatever the condition is, the solution is always Jesus. Matter of fact, around here, if we ever ask you a question, you can never get it wrong if you just say Jesus. Amen? Whatever the topic is we bring up, if I'm up here, Daryl's up here, somebody else is up here, and we ask you a question, if you were to say Jesus, probably right. Because that's what our friends need. Our friends need us to get them before Jesus. The word before literally means in the face of. Why are they wanting to do that? Maybe they, I mean, they must have heard something about Jesus. They wouldn't have been going to the effort of trying to give this man to Jesus if they had not heard maybe Jesus can make a difference. 
They'd probably heard some stuff about Jesus, some, some healings that had been taking place, some other neat stuff Jesus had done. Hey, we don't know because the Bible tells us in John, near the end of John, there's so much that Jesus did that's not even written about in the Bible. And if he, everything was written that he had done, there wouldn't be enough room for all the volumes in the world that the space the books would take up. So we don't know why, but we know they're trying to get him to Jesus. Maybe one of these men used to be laying beside the road as a paralytic, and Jesus came by and healed him. And they thought, if Jesus can do it for me, Jesus can do it for somebody else. And guys, that's the mindset we must develop and have as Christians. If Jesus did it for you, he can do it for somebody else. And you need to be the somebody else to get that somebody else to Christ. To be willing to do whatever you can to get him right in the face of Jesus. See, getting someone right in the face before the Pharisees is not going to help them, or right in the face before the teachers of the law is not going to save them, or right in my face, or right in your face. Our goal has to be this, guys, to get people right in the face of Jesus Christ. That means we need to exalt him. We need to lift him up. If all I'm trying to do is get them in my face, I'm screwed up. I've always been screwed up. God's still working on me because I've trusted Christ as my Savior. One day, thank God, I'll be just like him. But right now, I'm still human. And if all I do is get them in my face, they're going to see eventually that I messed up and they're going to be discouraged and downcast. That's why we've told you from day one, don't put me on a pedestal, don't put Daryl on a pedestal. We'll do our best to follow Jesus, but we're still humans and we can fall off a pedestal. You better keep Jesus on the pedestal. And what we need to do is get people to where they see Jesus face to face. We need to be willing to take them to Jesus. Face to face encounter with Jesus. What kind of friends do we need to be? We need to be the kind of friends that will recognize their condition, that will take our friends to Jesus. But we also need to be the kind of friends that will not give up. That's what they need. Our friends need us to refuse to give up. To throw down the gauntlet and say, I don't care what happens. I don't care how many times you say no. I don't care how much you fall back into your sin. I'm not giving up on you. The Bible says when they could not find a way to do this, to get him into Jesus because of the crowd. When you read it in Mark's gospel, it tells us there were so many people there that there wasn't even room to get in the door. They had the door blocked where people needed to get in to be able to hear Jesus. There's so many people there, and because of the crowd, what they did was this. They didn't give up. They went up on the roof. The crowd had things blocked up. They're just sitting there. The religious people are just sitting there. My goodness, you think someone would have looked at the door when they come up with him trying to get him in. You think someone would turn around and look and say, let me get out of the way. Here, let's clear a space out. Let's let them usher this guy into Jesus. But that didn't happen. They just kept standing there listening to Jesus. And these guys are trying to get somebody to Jesus. And yet the crowd just had the door blocked. Oh, surely people aren't like that. They don't have that attitude. Yes, they are. I'm sorry, but they are, even in the church. I pastored a deacon one time, not in this area, so don't you start guessing who it was, thinking it must have been some deacon at the last church because you might know some of them. It was completely out of this area. We were having a youth service on a Sunday night, designated the front section for some of the youth to sit in. The youth were sitting in his chair. He took his Bible and went home and didn't come back for weeks because somebody was sitting in his chair. Can I tell you something? You don't have a chair. All of these chairs are God's chairs. And if you think you have a chair, you ought probably just stay at home because somebody else needs it more than you do. They didn't give up. The crowd, look what the word crowd means, a throng. But it also, the root word means this, the rabble. Rabble. Like a bunch of trash or junk piled up in the pathway where somebody can't get through. Can I ask you a question? I wonder how many times you and I have been like rabble. 
How many times have you and I just been occupying a space? And that's all we've done is occupy a space. And maybe you've occupied a space with plenty of places beside you because this morning I can tell you there's plenty of places beside you. You know what? But next week there shouldn't be as many places beside you because some of you need to go and find your friends and do what you can this week to get them here by next week. These friends did not give up. They went up on the roof. Instead of just saying, well, we tried. <laughs> we picked him up, we carried him here, and this, you know, this religious crowd's got everything blocked. Just a bunch of rabble sitting around here, and I, we just can't get him in because of the rabble. And the rabble was blocking access, but they didn't give up. They went up on the roof. Our friends need us to refuse to give up. Our friends also need us to do this. The type of friends that we need to be. Our friends need us to be creative. To be willing to be creative in getting them to Jesus. They try to get him in the traditional way. The traditional ways walk through the door. Problem is the door's blocked. So these guys decide they're going to get creative. Now, you all know up front, I love this story. Because <laughs> I'll tell you something, that's why this church exists. They get creative. They go up on the roof. And because the rabble was there blocking the entranceway, they decided to go over the heads of the religious crowd and you have to do that sometimes, guys, in churches. There's a religious crowd that's satisfied just with the way things are. And if God is in something, you need not to let the religious crowd stop you. You go above the heads of the religious crowd, and you do what God's called you to do anyway. They go up on the roof, and they make a hole in it. They tear a hole in this ceiling. A lot of churches and a lot of Christians and their mindsets have some ceilings that somebody needs to tear a hole in. They tear a hole in the ceiling, removing this tile. And the Bible says that they lowered him right into the midst of the crowd, right down before Jesus. They do something creative right in the midst of the crowd. That's why we do things differently here in some ways. That's why we have different music. That's why I don't wear a suit. I could wear a suit if I wanted to wear a suit. Now I've got used to not wearing a suit. And when someone dies or gets married and I have to put a tie on, I want to smack the guy. I've never looked it up, but I want to look it up sometime. I'm going to Google it and find out who came up with the idea of wearing ties. And if he's in heaven when I get there, I'm going to smack him in a Jesus kind of way. Hey guys, it doesn't mean you're closer to God because you don't have a suit or a tie. I'm just telling you, there's plenty of churches out there that do that. That's why we're doing things differently because sometimes the pipeline is blocked up and people can't get into Jesus. Certain people can't get into Jesus. They're paralyzed. We don't want paralyzed people. We just want people like us. That's why we're existing as a church. That's why we do things creative. That's why Brad and Brandy do some of the stuff they do with the BMX ministry and with the skateboards, trying to do something creative. You heard Seth's story a minute ago. Seth had experienced some rabble in his life, maybe some other churches, to where there was this thing that was just blocking him from going any further in this thing called Jesus. And because... We did a day outside last year because Brad planned that, and they did a day outside last year called, called D3. And they had a little competition out there for skateboarders and BMXers. Drew, that you've already seen on stage, became a Christian. I've never addressed this. I'm going to address it now because Drew's not here and it won't embarrass him. 
If you were here, you probably remember it well. But when Drew was giving his testimony, it was just because of part who he was and his background and his past. When he talked about his dad committing suicide, Drew dropped the F-bomb on stage. That would be enough in most churches to close the church down, and I would have been fired the next day. I want to thank you guys that you understood. He was just communicating to you where he had been. Because a lot of religious people sit at home and watch that on a movie and never think twice about it, but get up, oh, but it happened at church. He became a Christian because of that. Seth became a Christian because he showed up here and because Brad developed a relationship with him over about a period of not quite a year or right about a year. And he came to Jesus, and he was baptized right up here in one of our youth services. Why did it happen? Because of a creative ministry. Why have we reached some of the people that other churches won't reach? Because we were willing to get creative. And that needs to be the mindset you have. Because as you try and get your friends to Jesus, there are going to be some blockades you'll run into. And God forbid, you might even bring them in here. And there'll be some religious Pharisees sitting around that has things blocked up and stuffed up a little bit. Instead of giving up, you need to be willing to climb up on the roof, tear the roof off, be creative, and get that person to Jesus any way possible as long as it doesn't violate Scripture. To do all that we can to get them to Jesus. We need to be willing, guys. Every church needs to be willing. But I'm telling you up front, this church needs to be willing. We need to be willing, if necessary, to tear the roof off some things every now and then. When God tells us to, to get somebody to Jesus, we need to be willing to tear the roof off. If if doing something like skateboard ministry out here will get people to Jesus, I am all in. If revamping our Sunday school class, there's a couple rooms up there that were kind of like for you adults. Well, you're losing them now. <laughs> because we've been having some Sundays with like 80, a little bit over 80 people and kids in the children's ministry. So if we need to revamp that up there and spend some money to build risers and things and have some place where the kids can worship and everything like that, if we need to do that in order to reach more people, I'm ready to tear some walls out. If drums and electric guitars and creative type of ministry will reach people that other people can't reach, can I tell you something? I am ready to rock out, guys. Now, if you're part of the religious crowd, that might make some of you nervous. It might upset your card a little bit. Remember the scenario. They're all sitting there. And Jesus is teaching. Can you imagine maybe the way some of the Pharisees felt and the way they thought when all of a sudden their little worship experience is disturbed by someone being brought to Jesus right down in the middle of it? Can I tell you something? If you're ever here, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and if you're ever here and you know it's your time, I don't care if I'm in the middle of preaching and God tells you it's your time, you upset the apple cart. You come up here and disturb it. You bring a friend that needs Jesus and they're sitting beside you in the middle of our worship service and they let you know they need to come to Jesus right then, I promise you, I'll be glad to shut up and let them come up to the front. Our worship leaders will be glad to shut the song down. Can you imagine the religious crowd sitting there and they're wearing their designer robes? And all of a sudden, as they start to take the roof off, some dirt starts to fall down out of the roof. You see, more than likely, it was an earthen roof with just, you know, these clay tiles over it. So as they start to dig through it and everything, some dirt starts to fall on some of these Pharisees. I bet some of them were ticked off. So I'm just telling you, if that makes you nervous, creative ministry makes you nervous, I'm sorry, guys. You just need to get over it. Because <laughs> that's what we're about. 
And if your goal is not bringing somebody else to Jesus, I'll tell you something. You need to get over that. Because if that is not our goal, if that is not the goal of Day 3 Church, to do all and everything we can to get people to Jesus, if that's not your goal, if that's not our goal, then just stay at home and we'll close the doors of the church. If that's not your goal. That had best be what our goal was about. That had best be our reason for being here, to get somebody to Jesus. Matthew eleven nineteen. The Bible said the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they said, this is a religious crowd. <laughs> they said, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they said. But notice the statement that God put there. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Oh, Brad said, come up. I had him worried during the week. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on stage and interview you guys. And all. Now, he must think we'll let him hang around. His hair didn't used to look like this. <laughs> and he went off on a mission trip, and uh, part of the mission that happened on the mission trip was his hair color changed and the, and, and the style of it changed. So he must think you guys will keep him around like this or he wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I'm joking about that right now. But you guys know there are some places that wouldn't want him to come back the second time. God, that should never be the focus of a church. So the reason I wanted them to come up here, because see, some people and some other ministries and things like that with skateboarders, I mean, their pants slung low and all that kind of stuff and things, kind of be like what they were saying about Jesus. He's a glutton and a, and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, but see, wisdom was proved right by our actions because of what Jesus did. Can I tell you something here? Look here. Wisdom is proved right by its actions. Because this man came to Jesus. Wisdom was proved right by the actions of doing things like skateboards and BMX and other creative ministry. Wisdom was proved right by its actions. Give them a hand. Give Jesus a hand. <clears throat> so up front, guys, we're going to hang around here. You need to be willing to do anything God tells us to do. And he's not going to tell us to do anything that violates Scripture. And we need to be willing to be doing anything we can to go find our friend on a mat and get that friend face-to-face with Jesus. As long as it doesn't violate the Bible, you need to be in for it, ready for it, up for it. And that's what we need to be about here. Now, did you see, if you look at the story, I'm just going to cover this really quick. Did you see the results and kind of the outcome of what happened? When they got him there, here's what happened. Jesus looked, and when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw they were persuaded... That they understood that Jesus was what this man needed. When Jesus saw their persuasion, their conviction, their reliance upon him, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. That's our goal, guys. That is our goal to get people face to face before Jesus to where that happens and people find Christ as their Savior. Now, can I tell you something? In the process of doing creative ministry and everything else, there's still going to be Pharisees. Because on the other side of this happening, on the other side of them getting him down in front of Jesus and Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven you, Pharisees still acted and still thought like Pharisees. They started judging Jesus. They started saying, well, you know, who can forgive sins? That's blasphemous. Who can forgive sins but God? You know what? They're right. He was God. He is God. And that's the way Pharisees will be sometimes. Sometimes Pharisees aren't even happy when somebody comes to Jesus because that type of person coming to Jesus might upset the apple cart at church. The hierarchy at church might get busted up if too many new people come to Jesus. God, I wish we'd be flooded with so many new people we don't even remember who the old people are. 
That's not to say you're not important. You know better than that. We need to be so tied up in reaching people, we don't worry about if we were here from day one or not. That's not what it's about. So Jesus knew what they were thinking, and Jesus said, all right, what's tougher, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, you know, rise up and take your bed and walk? And he healed him, told the man to take his bed, and the man walked to his house. And the Bible tells us the people that were watching, especially when you read it back over in Mark's gospel, the people that were watching more or less said this, man, we have never, ever seen anything like that. I wish that every service we have at day three, God would touch somebody's life in such a way that we would go away and say, I've never seen anything like that before. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Lord, right now, speak to our hearts clearly. and Lord, if we already know you as Savior, but God, we have friends who are lost, friends that don't know you, that are not in a relationship with you. And Father, we pray right now you'd convict us, Lord, of of not doing all that we can to reach them. Lord, do away with all of our excuses and help us to be willing to reach down and grab a corner of the mat and to take somebody to Jesus. God, I pray your protection over this place called Day 3. God, I pray that we will never, ever just take up space. That we'll never, ever just have religious meetings and come and fill space and blocked entrances to where somebody else needs to know about Christ. Lord, help us to be willing and necessary to tear the roof off of some things. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to see this verse about a friend. It's found over in John. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. He's talking to his disciples because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I've made known to you. Here's the deal with that before we have a time of decision. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to understand something. He is so much a friend to you that he died for you. So why not come and trust in him today? And if you do know Christ as your Savior, here's the deal with that. If you're my friends, do what I command. He's clearly commanded us to reach people. He's clearly commanded us to go and reach our friends and bring them to Christ. There's no question marks on that. So can I just ask you, what are you going to do about it? He says that you are my friends if you do what I command. He's commanded us to go. He's commanded us to make disciples. So what are you going to do about it? Who's going to be on your mat that you bring? Maybe you need to pray about that during this time. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at day3church.com.